Amen. Amen. Good to see each and every one of you in the house of the Lord. And uh, we missed you the last couple of Wednesday nights as we were out of town. Uh, but we're so glad to be back. And uh, good to feel the presence of the Lord. Amen. On a Wednesday night. Hallelujah. And uh, uh, to be together with God's wonderful people. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Ephesians. And uh, I'm excited. That's the Word of God's an exciting book. This is an exciting book. And uh, I think it's really incredible to uh, deepen your understanding and um, widen the breadth of your grasp of the Word of God. And that's what we intend to do here tonight as we get into the Word of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. We had something neat happen here at church yesterday. During the day, I got a phone call here at the church uh, from a man who was in town on business. who was a, 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 a pastor uh, who was starting a church in Louisiana. He was here on business, car sales business, and uh, got in a conversation with a young man named Caleb. And long story short, this is a young man from Ethiopia who'd been raised in a home of pastor and his wife and had never been baptized before. Spirit-filled, but had never been baptized before. And this pastor began to tell him about the importance of water baptism in Jesus' name and how the name of Jesus was needed to deal with your sin problem. And uh, this young man made a decision to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And we baptized him yesterday right here in the name of the Lord. It was really awesome. Amen. Praise the Lord. I think this... This place, we should have people coming in every day and getting baptized or receiving the Holy Ghost or having their lives changed. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless. I'm going to allow you to be seated. We're going to um, look at Ephesians chapter 3. Sarah, do you think this will work tonight? We'll, we'll give it a shot here and see what we got. There we go. How about that? Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter number 3. What I'd like to do is we're going to look at... Uh, the entirety of this passage through verse 21. And uh, what I want to do is, before we start, I want to read this passage in the New Living Translation. I want to read the full passage, and if you can just kind of tear yourself away from your what you're looking at in your Bible for while we read through this and just kind of listen, try to get the message and the essence of this chapter. And then we're going to go back and go through verse by verse from the King James Version. And uh, do a little study in the Word of God tonight. Chapter 3 and verse 1. In the New Living Translation, there's a header that says, God's mysterious plan revealed. God's mysterious plan revealed. Verse 1. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, or as you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings 
because they belong to Christ Jesus. Verse 7. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Verse 8. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Verse 14, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make uh, his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we can ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever Amen. And everybody said amen. Praise the Lord. We're going to talk about a powerful secret, a powerful mystery, a powerful secret. We're going to start reading in verse 1. We're going to go through this verse by verse from your King James Version and uh, uh, get a deeper understanding of what the Word of God is saying here. Verse 1, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Now the key word here I want you to notice is Paul is telling that he is a prisoner for the Gentiles. A prisoner for the Gentiles. Now if somebody can look up Acts chapter 21 verses 30 through 33. And I'll also have that same person read Acts 22, 22 and 23. We're going to look at the story of how Paul got put in prison. Now everybody understand that when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he wrote it while sitting in prison. And uh, some people wonder, why, why this great apostle, why did he get placed in prison? Why did he have to experience suffering? And I don't know all of God's reasons and all of his purpose, but I do know as busy as he was sharing the gospel, I doubt if he would have written as many books of the Bible if he hadn't spent some time in prison. But this is how he got in prison. Read uh, for me Acts chapter 21, verse 30. Anyone got that for me?
All right, the story here is the Apostle Paul was in the synagogue teaching, and he was teaching the equality of the Jews and Gentiles, that Gentiles were joined together with Jews in this new thing called Christianity, where they were connected to Jehovah. And because of his teachings, it caused a riot in the community because the Gentiles, I'm sorry, the Jews refused this message. We're rejecting the idea that uh, that God's plan, eternal plan, was to join the Gentiles together with the Jews to make one family. And so this is why Paul was uh, put into prison. And then uh, chapter 22 and verse 22, uh, once again, same same. All right, so the Jews were saying, put him in prison, get rid of him. And so the reality was, Paul is saying here, because of this mystery of Jews being joined together with Gentiles into one body, because of this, I have been made a prisoner. So he writes to the Gentiles and say, I am a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. Verse 2. If ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to you word. So the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm assuming you've heard that there's a special dispensation of God's grace, which has been given to me to give to you. It's been given to me to distribute to me to you. So the point here that I want you to notice on this verse you know, Gentiles, that I am a prisoner for your sake because you understand there's a dispensation of grace that God gave to me to give to you. Now, the word dispensation here is the word that uh, probably is the more difficult uh, for us to understand just in layman's terms. But the Bible is letting us know, Paul is saying, I'm not only a prisoner, but I'm also a minister. It says in verse 7, he was a minister of the mystery. Because something was given to Paul. What was given to him? A dispensation of God's grace for the Gentiles was given to Paul. So Paul was a prisoner for the Gentiles, but he was also a minister to the Gentiles because there was a dispensation given to him. Let's look at the word dispensation so that you can understand what the Apostle Paul is saying here. The word dispensation, how many realize that the Bible wasn't originally written in King James English? that the Apostle Paul wasn't writing in King James English. The Apostle Paul was writing in what? Greek, in the Greek language. And so the word that's in the original text, the original letter that Paul wrote, that's translated dispensation is actually two words. There's two words that are translated dispensation here. One is oikos and the other is nomos. Oikos and nomos. These two Greek words are words that when they translated into English, they translated to this word dispensation. So oikos means house or home, house. And nomos means law, the law of the house or the law of the domain or the law of the home. And uh, just kind of the idea is, you know, each home has a special set of laws and there's somebody who administers those laws. So the point is, Paul is given a stewardship or a management. He is to take 
oversight to administer the special laws of the house that relate to this new dispensation. Now, let me give you, if you're a little, that's a little confusing to you. Everybody has heard before that the Bible is divided up in different ages or different dispensations. If you haven't, let me clue you in here. What was expected of Moses is not the same thing that's expected of me. But that doesn't mean that we serve different gods. And that doesn't mean that his principles have changed. But the way that God deals with human beings through the different ages of time are called dispensations. And in order for the Bible to harmonize, you have to be able to divide the ages of time and understand the various what we call dispensations or this is the parameter where these rules apply during this time frame. And uh, if you uh, do a search for truth to Bible study, you get to learn the various dispensations. Dispensation of innocence, how God dealt with man before he fell, the dispensation of promise, the dispensation of law. And, uh, of course, now we're in the dispensation of grace. And uh, so the Apostle Paul is saying here that there's a special dispensation of grace which God has given to me to be a steward or an overseer to make sure that it is done, to make sure that this dispensation happens. See, Moses was the steward of the dispensation of the law. And the Apostle Paul says, I'm the steward of the dispensation of grace to make sure that it's executed as God has revealed. And so Paul was a minister of, or, or he was uh, the steward of this dispensation, given stewardship or management. Just to delve into that a little deeper, God has different ways of managing his program from age to age. And while God's principles don't change, um, his method of dealing with human beings do change through history. St. Augustine was a great Bible theologian, and he made a great statement. He said that if you are able to distinguish the ages, the scriptures will then harmonize. And uh, one, one verse we'll look at a little bit later in Second Timothy says that we are to rightly divide the word. What does that mean? supposed to get out a sword and cut our Bible up? What it means is being able to recognize and state the various ages and dispensations. Because if you don't, people could be confused. If I just hand somebody a Bible and says, do whatever it says, they just look in there, whatever the Bible says, they just go do. I mean, it's going to be a mess, right? Because you have to be able to discern and divide uh, the dispensations and understand where you are and what God expects out of us everybody said amen okay we'll go on you've heard the dispensation of grace of god which god hath given to me given me for you all right verse three how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as i wrote afore in a few words whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men. Other dispensations didn't realize, didn't understand, and had no foresight that there was going to be a church made up of Jews and Gentiles. They didn't know it. You can read through the whole Old Testament, and you see where God, where the Bible does say that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through Jesus Christ, but it never specifically said that there would be a church established of Jews and Gentiles together 
This was a mystery hidden from previous generations, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Holy Spirit, that the Gentiles, and here's the mystery, that's why I've got it highlighted. This is the mystery, basically, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. This is the mystery. The mystery is that Jesus Christ was going to come and extend the promises of Abraham to all people and that Jews and Gentiles alike would become one body through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the cross. This is the great mystery that no matter who you are, no matter what your background is or your religious background or the color of your skin or the language that you speak, we all are invited to be one through Christ Jesus, one body through the blood of the Lamb that taps us into all the promises that God gave to the Hebrew people in the Old Testament. We are partakers. Now, we're going to look at verses 3 through 6, a couple things, the key word mystery and, uh, and so on. First of all, uh, the word mystery here. The word mystery doesn't mean like a, um, something uh, like a, a sleuth or Sherlock Holmes or some hidden smoky event. What, what it means is it's a truth that was hidden in times past and is now revealed to those who are in God's family. And this, uh, another way of saying it, or a sacred truth that is unknown to unbelievers, but understood and treasured by the people of God. The gospel message, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and what it provided for us. What the blood of Jesus provides for us is it gets us in. Special dispensation, but it's a special... uh, uh, I can't think of a word. It, it like We're not supposed to let you in, but we're going to let you in because there's the special thing. And we've been brought in to God's promises through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the cross and through the gospel. That's why we're so excited. We treasure this message because Jesus died to give us a way in. Jesus died to give us a way in. And so while... Those in times past did not understand that a way was going to be made for the Gentiles through the blood of a Jew who was really God manifest in the flesh. But this great mystery of Christ is the mystery that is to be treasured and held on to by the people of God. And here's the deal. When you, if the Apostle Paul is desiring in this passage to help people understand and get a hold of this great mystery because once they got a hold of it, it gave these believers, these spirit-filled Gentiles, a new relationship. They were in sync with the Jewish people. They were in sync with, with God's promises from Abraham. But not only a new relationship, but new power. That's the lightning bolt right there. There's great power that they had tapped into that they had no hope of tapping into before. The great power of the eternal God was now available to him and his resources and his miraculous power and his spiritual blessings. Amen. All the blessings that God had promised and God's favor that was on Father Abraham now is available to all of us because of this great mystery that's now uh, made known. The Apostle Paul said, I'm making it known and then you are to make it known as well. Verse 7. Whereof I was made a minister. I was made a minister of this great mystery of the dispensation of the uh, Jews or the dispensation of grace. 
I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Effectual working of His power. This gift that God gave me, the ability to be a minister, the ability to open this door of dispensation to all people in the world was given to me by God's effectual working power. Two key words there, working and power. Working power. Everybody say working power. Working power. Power, it comes from the Greek word dunamis, which is what we get dynamite from. But the word working comes from the word that we get the word energy from. Energy. Energy. Power. So here's the deal. You may have a vehicle that has a lot of power, but what if it's not working? No good. But it becomes effective and useful when that power is working. And the Apostle Paul is saying here, it is God's power that is actually working. You know, there's a school of thought. Um, uh, I can't think of the word. I don't know, theism or pantheism. Uh, but I remember studying in college that uh, was a perspective of God that said God has all power. He set the world in existence. He has power to, he has all this power, but he's not at the beck and call of human beings and he has no dealings in the world. He's kind of set it in motion. And so that would be power that's not working. Uh, but we believe in a God whose power is working in our lives and is, we're able to tap into it. We're able to get a hold of it. And then Paul says, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given. See his posture of humility here. And, uh, but also realism. He says, I'm the least. In another place he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Why does he say that? Because he's the only one that didn't meet Jesus face to face. Never met Jesus face to face except in a spiritual experience. Whereas the other, everybody know that? The other apostles hung out with Jesus. But Paul was not converted until after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and ascension. He says, can you believe? Here, it's me, the least of all saints. I'm, I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm the least of all the saints. I was the chiefest of sinners. But God has given the grace that I would preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The apostle Paul saying, check it out, man. If God's power works in little old me, then you can be assured that this same power is available for you as well. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. This great mystery been hid from the beginning, but God chose little old me to share this message and to bring this about. And to God gave me grace, who once persecuted the Christians, he gave me the grace to be an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul references the effectual power or working power now available to the Gentiles in verse 7, as we mentioned. Working power, it's now available to you. He also mentions the new riches in verse 8 that are described as unsearchable or unfathomable. God's riches, you, it, it's just untraceable. You can't even get to the bottoms of it the riches that God has for you. And as I mentioned, God is saying, if God does this, uses little old me in this way, think of what's available for you as well. Verse 10, 
to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the, to, to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that ye faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Okay. Let's see, what does all this say? Oh, we explained to you that the Apostle Paul said this mystery was hidden from the beginning. Nobody knew that God was going to take Jews and Gentiles bring them together in one body through the blood of Jesus Christ. Nobody happened. And now God is allowing me to speak forth this mystery. Now God is allowing the church to reveal this great mystery to them. Why? Here's the answer. The answer is to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Who's that? That would be angels. That would be demons. Spiritual powers in spiritual places. Principality. Everybody there. The purpose of all this is so that the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Okay, let me unwind. This is really bad. And what it's saying here, to make it really plain, as plain as I possibly is that God wants to use the church to show all spiritual wickedness and the angels to show off his wisdom. Manifold, manifold, look at his profound and spiritual uh, angels are like the Bible says that angels are intrigued by the church they want to look into our redemption curious about our worship you know they're curious about redemption and the Bible, heaven says the angels rejoice over one sinner that comes to repentance they're intrigued by what's happening in the church everybody said amen the angels are intrigued by the church and obviously we know that Satan and his minions are also watching. But God has a purpose in all this. He is wanting to declare his manifold wisdom, which was his eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by faith of him. Wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulation for you, which is your glory. Let's look at this. God is educating the angels and fallen angels through the church. He is showing them how awesome and profound and buried in his wisdom he is by what happens through the church, by, by what happened at the cross, by what Jesus purchased for us and how he unified this body of believers from every nation. It reveals to the angels God's wisdom, and it also has a second purpose. It's showing Satan's lack of wisdom. Concocting these 
church showed the demon that one-third of fallen angels that decided they would follow Satan when he went as Lucifer to set himself up. And they thought it was a smart decision to follow the conniving Lucifer. And now God says, now, when they these evil spirits see the church, when they observe the church, they're going to see just how awesome God's plan was and how profound his manifold wisdom is. God's hidden plan is now to be revealed by his stewards. Let's look back here. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. The point is the Apostle Paul was the original steward of the dispensation or manager or of the house rules of the new dispensation. The Apostle Paul was the initial one. But the point is, after Paul, now we are the ones that are to reveal God's secret plan through Jesus Christ to the world. Amen? So this great mystery of Christ, mystery of the cross, mystery of the blood of Jesus and what it purchased for us, this great mystery belongs to us now. Are you with me? We are stewards of the dispensation. We are stewards of God's dispensation of grace. That's why we need to know the Bible. Come on, somebody. That's why we need to be personally familiar with the Bible. See, you can look at the history of the church through the dark ages and so forth, and you find out when people are not educated about the Word of God, they're very poor stewards of dispensation. They got totally off, completely off, and they believed a lie. And they lost their privileges. And they lost access to God's glory. And they lost access to all of his riches because they weren't careful stewards of the word of God. The mystery is to be guarded. Amen? That's why doctrine's important. That's why doctrine is important. The apostle Paul was a steward of what God had revealed to him and he was very, very careful about how the next generation handled this revealed mystery because he wanted it to be guarded, he wanted it to be preached, but he wanted it also to be handed down to faithful men. Amen. Brother Chris, if you have your Bible, look up 1 Timothy 1.11. 1 Timothy 1.11. Brother Marvin, if you can look up 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. All right, Brother Chris, 1 Timothy 1.11. The Apostle Paul said, The glorious gospel of Jesus Christ was committed to my trust. By the way, here's the most precious and powerful and valuable thing in all the world. I want you to take care of. That's what Paul said. The Lord put it in my trust. The gospel of Jesus Christ. I got to watch out. I got to care for it. I got to make sure that it's not perverted. I got to make sure that it's not misused. I got to make sure that it's not twisted. I have been given and commissioned the responsibility to take charge of it. Brother Marvin, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2. said, what you have heard, I want you to, did he say commit it to faithful men? He said, I want you to take what I've given to you 
and I want you to commit it to faithful men. This is the point here. This mystery is to be guarded, but it's also to be carefully handed to faithful men. 1 Timothy 6 and 20. He said, Timothy, you understand that Timothy was the Apostle Paul's understudy. He was a young man that was going to take over when the Apostle Paul passed away. He said, Timothy, hold on to what I have given you. This is a precious mystery. You are to rightly divide the word of truth. You are to know what the Bible says and make sure that you don't get wrapped up in vain babblings and and, and old wives' tales and science falsely so-called so that you get twisted away from the truth. Hold on to the truth. Anybody getting the message here? Hold on to the truth. Second Timothy 4 and 7. Brother Marvin, that's the last verse. Well, we'll look at it one more. Second Timothy 4 and 7. I have kept the faith. The Apostle Paul said, I have received something. And I kept it. I finished my course. But at the end of the day, I have kept the faith. See, Life Church, we have some things that we've got to hold on to. We've got to keep a hold of. The most important thing is God's glory. And you don't have God's glory if you step away from his perfect plan. If you let go of doctrine. Amen. If you let go of what's been committed to you. This glorious gospel came no other way but by fiery, old-fashioned preaching. And we've got to hold on to the glory of God. Amen? Finally, 2 Timothy 2.15. Um, we have to remember that we are a part of this stewardship. We have to be aware that we're not... And, and know how to use the Bible. As somebody that has influence that doesn't know how to use the Bible is Dangerous. Dangerous. The Bible says 2 Timothy 2.15. What does it say? Rightly. Study to show yourself proved to God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. Understanding dispensational things. Understanding the moral law of God. You need to. Be familiar with the Word of God because God has given to you the mystery, amen, and and put it in our hands. Now, uh, at the end of uh, uh, of this verse, we have a little shift here, uh, beginning into verse 14. Paul shifts directions here from what he's talking about, explaining to them the mystery that, that has been given to him and then to them. And he begins to pray. He begins to tell them what he is saying when he prays. He uh, goes into a prayer request, and his prayer request is basically that these Gentile believers, that the Ephesians, the Ephesian church, would take hold on what was available to them. Since they now understood, they had be, become aware that they were made fellow partakers of the mystery of this mysterious dispensation, that they would not fall short, that they would not come up missing what was available to them. Like, by the way, did you know that there is a $88,000 savings bond in your name at such and such a bank? I want you to take hold of it. I worked hard for it. I want you to enjoy it. 
I want you to take advantage of it. Verse 14, for this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family and heaven and earth is named. I'm going to bow down. And then verse 16, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened that by with might, by his spirit in the inner man. Let's just break this down, get it out of the King James Version. He said, I'm on my knees. I'm crying out to God, and I'm asking that he would give you, in accordance to his riches and glory, he would give you strength in your inner man by the Holy Spirit. I am asking God to strengthen your inner person by the Holy Spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And understand the word that's translated comprehend doesn't mean understand. It uses the same word as apprehend. Apprehend and comprehend come from the same word, which means uh, it's, it's prehend. Like, uh, you know, the tail of the monkey that is able to grab a hold of things. The, the word that describes that tail is the same word here as comprehend or apprehend. It means to wrap around and get a hold of it. I want you to comprehend the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Amen? So here's what Paul is praying for. Look at the key words we're going to go, and you keep looking in your Bible. We're going to go into it. Here's the uh, Paul, Paul's four things that he has by way of prayer request. Strengthened by his Spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. You may be rooted and grounded in love, be able to comprehend and to know the love of God, which passeth, passeth all understanding. And finally, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Everybody say Paul's prayer request. Paul's prayer request right here. Let's look at what it, what it entails. Paul's four requests. Number one, he says, I want you to be strengthened in your inner man by the Holy Spirit. I want you to be strengthened in your inner man by the Holy Spirit. Here's a couple verses I want to look up. Uh, Sister Kathy, can you look up Romans chapter 8 and verse 9? And Sister Ben, if you can look up Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. A lot of you can quote that verse. Uh, But the point that I want us to understand is that God's strength comes to our inner man only through His Spirit. Through His Holy Spirit. You don't think your way to a stronger inner man. It happens through God's Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. You're in the you're you're not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. If the spirit of God dwells in you, there is a dynamic thing that happens spiritually that cannot be done in the flesh. Amen. Through the Holy Spirit. See, the problem is with many churches today, and sometimes if we're not careful, even our church, if we took the Holy Spirit out of what we were doing, it would be pretty much the same. And that's sad. 
Amen. You can go into uh, churches and be involved in services and go about and you will notice that there are churches where there is no evidence of the Holy Spirit. They're trying to work on people with their intuition, with their mind, using the Word of God and attempting to change people when it can only happen through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you, here at Life Church, we've got to have God's glory in our midst. Got to have God's glory in our midst. And I was wrestling about a direction for this Sunday service while we were praying here earlier in this powerful prayer service that we had. I felt God speak to me that there is a tension always between the glory of God and just putting on a show between the glory of God and just going through the motions. And there's always a tension. There's always a tug of war. And if you don't recognize it, you'll fall into the uh, trap of just going towards uh, fulfilling the obligation or going through the show. But there's got to be a passion in the heart of God's people for the glory of God that says, I've got to pursue him with all my heart. This, does, this is not an academic pursuit. This is not just something we figure out in our mind. But there's got to be that supernatural element of the Spirit because that's what gives me strength in my inner man. Because there are people that know the Bible very well, but are flimsy and weak on the inner man, maybe even spiritually dead on the inner man. Why? Because they're not trusting in the spirit. They're trusting only in the letter. But there's got to be power through the spirit. Amen? We've got to have the word and we've got to have the spirit. The Bible says true worshipers, amen. Jesus said it. True worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. You can't have word without spirit and expect to be strong in your inner man. And you can't have spirit without word and expect to be rightly directed, amen. But when you get spirit and word together, there is a powerful, powerful combination to make you strong in your inner man. That no matter what the devil tries against you, no matter what attempted theft of your faith that is foisted on you there is something in you amen because it's based in the word of God and it's being infused with the Holy Spirit of God thank God for his spirit when you look at the history of the church the book of Acts and the book of Acts alone there are 59 references to the Holy Spirit over one fourth of every Reference to the Holy Spirit in the whole New Testament comes in the book of Acts. Because you can't have a book of Acts church without the Holy Spirit. Come on, I'm saying you can't have a book of Acts church without the Holy Spirit being in our midst. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. Amen. He says, I want you to have a, a blessing to strengthen you Strengthen your inner man by the Holy Spirit. But I want God to do it according to, according to his riches in glory. I'm talking about some real strength. I'm talking about some Apostle Paul strength. Right? I'm talking about Apostle Peter type faith that God wants to put into your spirit. God is not limited in the riches that he has in glory in terms of spiritual riches. Amen. See, this is a spiritual kingdom. Sometimes we get a little off base when we focus too much on the material blessing, right? Because God does promise us blessings, and he does bless us with material blessings. But Paul's sitting in prison in the meantime. He's not sitting in a 4,000-square-foot home. 
He's sitting in prison and writing this. He's not talking about riches that you put in your pocket or your bank account or drive. Amen. But he's talking about spiritual riches that makes you a a foe to the enemy that he is afraid of. That gives you power and influence to be used of God in great ways. Come on, somebody. To see God's anointing flow through your life. To see lives impacted. To see your prayers answered. Amen. To see the kingdom of God advanced because of your passionate pursuit of His glory. This is riches. He says according to His riches and glory. He didn't say He's going to give you out of His riches or from His riches and glory. But according to. If it was out of His riches, that would be a portion of it. But when He says according, that's proportion. Come on, somebody. That means... My blessings and God's riches that He's going to bless me with spiritual blessing and spiritual strength in the inner man is not just some of His glory, but it's according to how much glory He has. According to the riches in His glory. That's how He wants to bless me with spiritual blessings. Amen. Anybody want to be used of God? Anybody want God strengthen you? Anybody tired of the devil messing with you? Anybody tired of the devil threatening you and you've been listening to him? Anybody ready to stand up and say, I've got God's strength. Uh, I've got limitless strength on the inside through the riches of his glory. It happens on the inner man. Though the outward man perish, the outward man gets old. The outward man, the muscles begin to atrophy. The body experiences disease and sickness. Though the outward man perish, The inward man is renewed day by day through the Spirit of God, through prayer, through the Holy Spirit. Come on, you better have... Come on, you better have a prayer room. You better have a prayer closet where you connect to the Holy Spirit. Uh, You better have a place where God and you meet together and God's Spirit is infused with human spirit and something happens. And even though your old body's getting older and more tired and more apt to be uh, subject to disease, your inner man is being strengthened. It's being renewed. You're like a young warrior. You're like a young fighter on the inside. Come on. That's what Jesus has promised. There's power and there's strength. And I'd rather have an 88-year-old woman that knows how to pray than a 23-year-old man. Come on. That's got a lot of bluster. I want something happening on the inside of my spirit. I want something taking place on the inside. It's the inner man that makes the enemy nervous. It's the inner man that takes territory from the enemy. It's the inner man that's going to establish a revival church in Pasadena. So Paul first prays, I want God to give you strength in your inner man according to his riches and glory. And secondly, that was verse 16. Secondly, in verse 17, he, he uses three words to describe depth. Everybody say depth. Well, I want you to have strength, the apostle Paul said. But I also am praying that God would give you depth. Depth. He says here, let's read verse 17 again. Verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, so that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in God's love as he dwells with you. As he dwells with you. The point here is to dwell. 
to dwell. The word dwell means to settle down and feel at home. I want God to dwell in my heart. Remember that song we sang tonight? Who am I that, that you are mindful of? That you love me? That you hear me when I call? I am a friend of God. You know who kind of the origin of that song was? The Old Testament. Abraham. Abraham called friend of God. See, here's the deal. Everybody remember, this is a really cool story in Scripture where three people showed up at Abraham's hand. Remember that? And the Bible says the Lord revealed to Abraham that he was about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Why did he didn't have to do that? Because there was a relationship there. Because there was a dwelling relationship. Abraham was a man of faith. And it was counted to him for righteousness. And God said, I'm comfortable here. I can hang out here. I can dwell here. You, do, do you remember the story? Three. And then just a few hours later, two show up in Sodom and Gomorrah. And go into Lot's house. Say, we've got a message. But only two. The third one didn't go because the third one was comfortable in Abraham's house, but he wasn't comfortable in Lot's house. I want God to dwell in me. I want God to dwell in me. And I've got to recognize if there's anything that I allow in my life that God is not comfortable with, then this prayer request is not going to happen in my life. And so the Apostle Paul is praying for you and he's praying for me, saying, I want God to dwell in you. Amen? I want God to dwell in me. I want to draw close to him. I want to let his spirit work in my life so that he can dwell with me. He can come in, settle down, and feel at home in my life. After that, it says, he says, being rooted and grounded, rooted and grounded in the vast unsearchable love of God, rooted. So the, the next point, he goes from talking about a dwelling place, he goes agricultural and talks about the root of a plant or a tree that has to be deep into the ground. We're talking about stability here. We're talking about depth and stability. He says, I want you to be deeply rooted in God's love because what do the roots provide for the tree? The roots provide the nourishment and the stability for the tree. Without the roots, when the wind blows, the tree falls over. Without the roots, when there's not much rain, the tree dies. But with the roots, through famine, through storm, the tree stands. Why? Because of the roots. The Bible is saying here, God is... Uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, I want you to be rooted and grounded. I want you to be rooted deeply into the love of God. Because there are some storms coming. There are some difficult times that are coming. But you know what? The real saints stand up when the going gets tough. Hallelujah. Because there's roots that go down. 
Hallelujah. There's nourishment that's there. When the top of the ground, the grass begins to die, the tree's still alive because it's tapped into some deep water sources. It's deeply ingrained in God's love. Amen. You know how much God loves you. You know how much God loves me. Get your roots down into the concept of God's love. And no amount of attack of the enemy or lie of the devil or persecution of the enemy or struggles in life will be able to destroy you because you're rooted. You're rooted deep into the love of God. He says, here's another thing I want, verse 17. I want you to be grounded. I want you to be put on. He goes from agriculture, he goes to architecture and talks about a foundation. I want you to be built on a solid and a right foundation. Because there's coming some earthquakes. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. How many were shaken yesterday? Shaken, shaken. Bible says everything that can be shaken will be shaken. You've got to be on the right foundation, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets' doctrine. I want you to be grounded. I want you to be built up on the foundation, amen, and rooted into God's love. And then verse 18, uh, the next verse, apprehending or comprehending. As I told you, the same word, prehend, means to grasp hold of, to take hold of. Comprehension, we think of it as just mentally understanding something. But the idea here is he's saying, I want you to take hold of the height and the depth and the width. I want you to get a hold of all of God's love. I want you to be able to comprehend with all saints the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. I want you to get a hold of it. I want you to take a hold of it. They used to say about young people when they quit doing their foolishness and they got down to business with God, the preacher would say, they're digging in. They're getting a hold of something. They're getting a hold of the truth. They're getting a hold of the Word of God. They're getting a hold of a relationship with God. Amen. I'm telling you, that's what I want. That's what I want to see in our young people. That's what I want to see in our moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas. I want to see a strengthening. Hallelujah. I want to see a taking hold. Hallelujah. I want to see a putting down of roots. Uh, We're built on the foundation of the Word of God. Let's get deep into the love of God. Hallelujah. Lay hold of and grasp. Praise God. And finally, verse 19, the second part of verse 19, he says... uh, to know the love of Christ, which passeth under knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Fullness. How can you be filled with God? We don't need to be vacuumed. We don't need to be empty. What did the Bible say? Uh, I believe it was Jesus that spoke the words after he cast out the evil spirits. That uh, those evil spirits would come back. Finding the place clean. Gonna bring some buddies with them. Bring some buddies. There's no place for emptiness in a Christian's life. Hallelujah. I don't care who you are, how long you've been serving God, or what your name is, or what your title is. If you leave empty spot, the devil will show up. I'm telling you, the devil will show up. Think about these mighty men of God who have fallen prey to sin. You think they were always hypocrite? I don't think so. I think they were good men, good ladies. 
that didn't let the fullness of God be in their life. Come on. We got to be full of the fullness of God. The fullness of God. Well, how does that happen? Happens through the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. We're going to be studying this here in a couple weeks, should the Lord tarry. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 21. Anybody got that verse? You can read it for me real quick. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Don't be drunk with new wine. Don't be drunk with wine, but be full of the Holy Ghost. Singing songs, giving voice, words of thanksgiving. Hallelujah, submitting yourselves to one another. Let the Holy Ghost be alive and well in your life. Amen? Praise God. There's got to be that zeal. There's got to be something percolating in you. Amen. I remember when I was growing up, my mom had a percolator coffee pot. You know, you know what those are? And uh, every every couple seconds, it would go, coffee would come up to the top there, and then coffee come up to the top. I, I, I don't see those anymore. I, don't, I guess they don't. But that percolator come up and come down. Anybody remember that? That was my morning sound every morning. And I'm sitting there eating my breakfast through bleary eyes, getting ready for school. I hear the percolator. Something needs to be percolating inside of us. It's the Spirit of God. It's being full of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Praise God. Every time we come to church, we don't need to put on a show, but we need God's glory. We need the glory of God. We need people that are hungry, hungry for more of God. When I come into His presence, I may have prayed through the night before and spoke in tongues uh, more than a Chinese laundromat. But when I come into the house of the Lord, I need to be full and filled up again. Praise God. And I need to leave out singing the praises of God. When I think of the goodness of Jesus uh, and all He has done for me, my soul cries out, Hallelujah! Praise God for saving me. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's what the Bible says. Be full of the Holy Ghost. Be full of the Holy Ghost. Pentecostals don't need to be secular people. We need to be Holy Ghost people. We need to be percolating people. We need to be full of God's glory. It needs to be flowing out of us. It needs to be splashing off on other people. Come on. Hallelujah. Fullness. Fullness. Hallelujah. We don't... The measure of fullness is not measured with somebody else. Well, I got more Holy Ghost than she does. Cash she's acting. Must be all right. The Bible says don't compare yourselves among yourselves. Because the measure is the fullness of Christ. Jesus is our measure. And once we get full of Jesus, then we're like Jesus. Amen. So that's our measure, not somebody else. Praise the Lord. And Paul closes his prayer, the final two verses of the chapter. Paul closes his prayer and says, Now unto him, Paul's just you know, got beside himself. Remember in verse 14, he says, I got down on my knee and I begin to say, God bless them with spiritual strength in their inner man according to the riches of your glory. And God, by the way, let them be rooted and grounded in your spirit. And by the way, let them be filled with the fullness of God. And when he come to the end of the prayer, he just said, whoa, what a mighty God we serve. That's basically what he says. He says, now unto him, 
that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. God can do it all. That's some real power. Amen. Come on, that's some real power. Above all we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Remember those two words? Power that worketh in us. Not just power, but power that works. Anybody ever have a lamp before and you couldn't figure out why it wouldn't come on and you found out there was a short or it wasn't plugged in because the power wasn't working. It wasn't tapped into. The Lord, but the writer here is saying there's power that's working in you that gives us the ability to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. You know, it would have been enough for the Apostle Paul to say, now unto him that is able to do all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Wouldn't that be enough? I mean, that would explain it. But then he goes and he puts another word with it. Now unto him that is able to do above all we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's making his point, isn't it? But he says, you know what? I need another adverb. He says, God is able to do abundantly above all that we are able to ask or think. Hey, that's more than enough. But he says, I want to get the point across to you just how much power that you can tap into. Just how much is available for you to grab a hold of. Because he's able to do exceeding, abundantly, above all that you're able to ask or think. You cannot even comprehend the power that's available. You can't not even comprehend what God wants to do if you recognize the riches. I'm talking to somebody that you need to get a hold of God's promise for your life again. The devil's tried to steal from you a vision of what God wants to do in you. But Paul says if God can do it for little old me, the least of sinners, get a grasp of what God has for you by way of riches. He's alive in you. I said he's working in you. There's power that's working in you. And that power is able to do exceeding abundantly above what we can ask or think. What a mighty God we serve. Come on, I'm sick of the devil stealing my faith. I'm sick of stinking thinking and little hope and little faith. But God is great and greatly to be praised. He's exceeding abundantly above all. Hallelujah. Let's stand and praise the Lord together. Hallelujah. Come on, lift up your hands and worship the Lord with me. Woo. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah, God in me, in me, in me, in me, in me. <laughs> Hallelujah. The songwriter said it this way. What a mighty God we serve. Angels bow before him. Heaven and earth adore him. We serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. <laughs> Come on, somebody help me lift him up. Somebody help me magnify him so the people can see. Somebody help me declare his glory. Help me declare his greatness and his goodness. Hallelujah, Lord. Oh, glory. Woo.
We serve a mighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Brother Francisco, there's power and it's working in you. It's not power to just talk about, but it's power to put to work.